Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. My guest today is a self-published author. He's published books like The Crystal Lattice, Mind Illusion, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed, and The Anunnaki Theorem. Uh, he's also the host over at Esoteric Eddie TV. I'm very pleased to welcome Esoteric Eddie. Welcome to my show. What's up? Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here, man. And uh, I've been following your work for some time now. I've, I've read all, pretty much all your books at this point and uh, seen a lot of your stuff. So I really dig your vibe, really dig the kind of stuff that you dig into. It's, it's the kind of stuff I've been interested in my whole life that I've only started to sort of explore with this new show in the last year, year here in a public way. So uh, I want to first just learn a little bit more about you. How did uh, how did you first get interested in all, all this weird stuff, Eddie? <laughs> well, um, my entire life has revolved around these subjects. I've had a weird life. I've been uh, quite a strange person, you know, my entire life. I've, uh, it can go all the way back since I was a kid, really. And, um, like, for example, one of the earliest memories I have is reading a book when I was in first grade, having to do with dinosaurs and dragons and all that kind of stuff. And also knights. And somewhere in that book, there was a section where, it spoke about the knights searching for the Holy Grail. And I was excited about that. And I wanted to find that golden cup as a kid. And so even then there was like this, there was this uh, excitement instilled in me for ancient past and, and secrets and stuff like that, occult secrets. And it's just interesting because at that time I thought it was just a golden cup, but I would later find in my adult years that it was, um, you know, a symbol for either the bloodline of Christ or the lost Ark of the Covenant, you know, and so that was in first grade. And and so my entire life has revolved around all these things. And I've told a lot of these similar stories throughout on different podcasts, but, um, and I've, I've told them because it's true, you know, and it's something that I, I, uh, I carry with me and, and it never really has changed. You know, even to this day, I'm always stumbling upon strange experiences or strange um, uh, conversations with people who have been a part of these different uh, occult or esoteric organizations. Have you always had this uh, sort of urge or this pull to like to inform other people about this thing? Obviously, it's what you do publicly with your books and uh, your video stuff. But uh, I'm curious, were you like that in high school, too? Were you always trying to like blow the minds of your friends with all the stuff you're uncovering? Yeah, I, I was always like that, man. I was always the crazy conspiracy friend, you know, um, ever since I was a kid, I remember when I first learned about like the Illuminati and all that, when I was about 12 years old, I went on a tirade on a tour uh, with among all my friends and family and strangers, even trying to explain to them that the world was ran by this group called the Illuminati. And you can see their triangle and eye and everything. And it's everywhere. So, yeah, I've always been like this, but I've mellowed out more so over the years and tried to um, approach this more professionally and just laid back. I think it's the same with anything, whether it's, you know, un uncovering esoteric mysteries or maybe getting attached to a certain political philosophy. When you get really uh, excited about something and you start to envelop it as part of your worldview, I think a lot of people go through a phase where you feel like e you got to get everyone else on your level. You got to get everyone else around you. You got to lift them up. You got to wake them up. You got to get them there. But I find often when you when you push in that way, it, it just you just naturally get a lot more pushback. Sometimes you get a, f a friend or two that's like, oh, shit, man, really? Let's talk about this all night. But 
more often than not, it kind of scares people away. So how have you, how have you sort of started to manage that more, uh, either with your work that you present publicly or just, you know, in, in your own life? I know you're a plumber. I'm curious, do you ever, do you ever kind of grow around, you know, dropping, dropping weird truth bombs on people when you're just out doing your business? No, man, actually, no. It's like a part of my philosophy now. I don't bring any of this stuff up. I, it's funny, like probably I, smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was younger, as I was saying, like I was, I was all about it. I was out there preaching and freaking people out, and and uh, I was even nicknamed Demon by some chick in high school because I gave her nightmares, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, over the years, I tried to develop a certain strategy, and I had this strange strategy at one point where before I began to talk to people about this stuff, I would ask them if they were afraid of dying. It was kind of like my own way of weeding out whether or not they were. It's an interesting icebreaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you afraid of dying? Well, because I, I would have people kind of like ask me about like, yo, I, I've heard you know some stuff or whatever. And I'd be like, well, let me, let me ask you this first, because that would tell me right away, you know, how, how strong they were mentally and everything. Because learning a lot of stuff is going to break your paradigm. It's going to be an ego death. It's going to be an indoctrination death. Um, but then oh, that was even kind of weird over the years. And, and so now, now I approach all of this as just my work. This is what I do part-time. Most of the time actually mm-hmm. feels like full-time, but it's, it's part-time. And, uh, so now I just approach it professionally. And again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I rarely bring this up. I try to be honest, I try to stay away from this, um, in, in the other areas of my life and but it's, it just follows me like it follows me i just have that aura i have that stoner energy i've been told right. and so <laughs> even if i try like people always find a way to somehow bring it up and and i'll i'll just kind of be slow about it just kind of like okay well you know a very ease into it um last thing i'll say about it is because yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's in, and it's my work and I don't want to take work into other areas of my life. Um, sorry, there was something I was going to say, but I forgot there, but that's pretty much how I handle it now, man. I just, if people are genuinely interested, then I will genuinely conversate with them. But if it's just, if it's just like, you know, craziness or whatever, I'd rather just not. Yeah. You got to kind of get the vibe that someone wants to pull it out of you more and then you can kind of let them pull on that string. But if you're just trying to rope everybody in, you know, it just, eh, it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. Actually, I just remember what I was going to say. Yeah. I'll meet people. Like I have people in my life to this day that I've known for, for quite a while and they still don't even know that I'm an author. Like I don't even tell people that I write books (laughs) and that I'm over here doing all this YouTube stuff. Like they'll, they'll, they'll find it on their own and they'll be like, dude, I didn't know you were like making all this TikTok stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes. It's always a weird thing when someone in your regular life that you don't think crosses over with this other public, but like not huge thing that you do that they'll come up and be like, Hey, I just found your podcast. And I listened to a couple episodes and you're like, yeah, I don't know how to react sometimes. Like, is that good? Is that bad? Yeah. I feel like, (laughs) but it is what it is. You know, once we make that decision to put things out there, you just kind of, kind of accept whatever, wherever it rolls. Um, I know Eddie, a lot of the work you've done has been on sort of, um, the, the, the origins of modern religion. So I want to kind of get into that subject a little bit. I, first, I want to ask you just kind of where, when you first got that interest in, in sort of pulling on that string uh, and going down that rabbit hole of, of the origins of modern religion, maybe you can dig into any of your own religious, religious background and how your sort of interest in the esoteric has led you down some other paths. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. I was raised in a Christian and Catholic home. So I grew up in the church, both, both sides. And so I'm very familiar with the institution of church, 
with the Bible and, and just the culture behind it and everything. And I grew up with the love and respect for the Bible and for Jesus and the stories and everything. Not so much church. I, I never liked authority, whether it was school, a church, anything like that. I, I was always a rebel in that regard. But I always knew and realized that there was something deeper to these stories and um, again, one of my earliest memories, like probably one of the first three or five memories I have is of me being dropped off at uh, the daycare at church and then walking into this auditorium and seeing this huge or what seemed like huge to me as a little kid uh, portrait of Jesus and not knowing who that was, but just like being freaked out, like, who is this guy? You know, and so I grew up all around that. Um, but very early on in my life, because of classic rock, because of hip hop, and because of my older uh, siblings and, and uh, cousins, I, I learned that there was a whole lot more to this that we weren't being told. Um, and so, can I stop you there for a second? You said because of classic rock, because of hip hop. So how did how did the music actually sort of influence you and open your mind up to to other things? Yeah, yeah, great question. I was bumping like Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, Bob Marley, all of that when I was uh, as far back as I can remember. When I was like in second grade, third grade. So I remember I don't I didn't really know what they were saying, but I remember my brother, one of my brothers had me watch Pink Floyd, The Wall. Oh, well, yeah, that'll that'll open some eyes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, it, if nobody's ever seen it, go check out Pink Floyd, The Wall. It's a cool half animated, half uh, real movie or like, you know, real actors. Yeah, I'd say you got to be in the, might, the right mindset. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're looking yeah, for a whimsical, like, you know, date night with the wife, maybe not then, but I do recommend watching it for sure. Oh, yeah. It depends on the chick, you know but uh she's probably the right one actually if, if that's if that. yeah yeah she likes it she's the right yeah. one she's the one <laughs> lock it in yeah i watched that when i was like in third grade man and wow. so that movie alone just like made me realize that for some reason like the government was evil you know because a lot of pink floyd's lyrics are about kind of that like authority is, is not to be trusted and then bob marley you know just him hearing him like i shot the sheriff and all these different things i just knew at an early age that like authority was not to be trusted mm -hmm. that we weren't to trust them that they were lying to us and uh so that was always in me and then once i started listening to like gangster rap when i was like in fourth and fifth grade then it was definitely fuck the police and all <laughs> this stuff you that know? was a little less subtle yeah, a little less subtle. And um, I just hung around a lot of heady people, interesting people. And so I knew that was probably the very first thing that I learned when it came to this path was was that a government and authority was not to be trusted. And then and the religious part of it and all that came later. So then did you at some point begin to get the same feeling about religion or just the way it's presented to us that if the government is presenting to us things in a, in a shifty way and trying to manipulate us, then perhaps these other institutions are as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I always found it strange too. I remember when I was young in elementary again, probably like, I don't know, somewhere between seven and nine or something, seven and 10. I remember asking my cousin like, yo, like, do you believe in the Bible? Like, do you think it's real? Like, I would question that. And he would get, like, mad at me and be like, dude, you can't question the Bible. And so that was, like, kind of weird to me. Like, why can't we question the Bible? Like, what, what's up with that? And so I would read it myself because um, we were never taught to read it. We were always just taught to, like, sit there and listen to it and right. read these little passages. 
I had fun. I would sit there and like try to read it because I thought there was like some kind of like treasure in there. I thought there were some secrets in there. So I would like I would go to the book of Revelation and try to like understand it at a young age. And uh, but the, that whole thing exploded for me once I started reading the works of Zechariah Sitchin mm-hmm. around 13 years old. That answered all the, the curiosity that I had. And you were getting into some weird shit young, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, man. Like my entire life has revolved around this stuff, uh, you know, and it's been, it's been fun. All right. Well, we haven't done, we've actually a couple episodes ago, we kind of glossed over Sitchin a little bit, but maybe we can dive in a little bit deeper to his work uh, with you for those that might not be that familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So Zechariah Sitchin, uh, he is the guy who basically first proposed the Anunnaki theory, the theory being that basically all mythologies, all major mythologies in dealing with gods and goddesses are actually just renditions of the Sumerian mythologies and that the Sumerian gods known as the Anunnaki are actually the progenitors or creators of the modern human race and that they created us through a series of genetic experiments and genetic designing and that they came here um, about half a million years ago from a distant planet that he called Nibiru or Planet X. So he was the guy who first proposed that back in the 70s in his uh, series known as the Earth Chronicles series. It's about, I think, seven, seven books, something around there. And he passed away in 2010. And up until his 90s, he was still giving talks and lectures and all kinds of stuff. And it's crazy because he passed away right around the time that I started reading his work, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, so I got I came across his work when I was about 13 years old, and a lot of it is biblical centered. Like he he grew up in a Hebrew school as a child, and so so he he uh, he grew up knowing the Bible. He grew up knowing Hebrew and, and ancient cultures. He traveled the world and studied all these different cultures and. So he he just did a great job of like tracing all of this stuff back to Sumer and the Anunnaki. And obviously there's a lot of critiques on his work and I have some of my own as well. I don't agree with everything he said, but what he did was still very fascinating. And at that time as a young person, when I had so many questions that people couldn't answer, it was exactly what I was looking for. He, he tied it all into the Bible and, and, and more. And so it was fascinating to read at such a young age. And that was a huge part of my awakening and my journey. When it comes to Sitchin's work, I guess maybe we'll start on the things that you think he got right. And then maybe we can go into some of the things that, that you kind of have some different ideas on. So what do you, th- what are th- some of the things that you think he just nailed or was at least on the right track with? Definitely that most of the major mythologies are renditions of the Sumerian mythologies there. That's definitely true. And not only the mythologies, but the cultures, a lot of like the, uh, Mediterranean cultures, a lot of the, of course, Middle Eastern cultures, a lot of that area are, are, they all stem from or are descendants of the Sumerians or the early Sumerians and and Akkadians. And and so he got that right. That part of it is correct. And I would also agree with him that at the very least, we are told by our Sumerian ancestors through the texts that are available to us that the Anunnaki created us. That is explicit in the text. That is 
told in the text. Um, so I agree with that. I agree with I agree with the basic premise of what he was trying to say is that there was a link to all of these ancient cultures that are that were building pyramids that were aligning a lot of their structures to uh, certain celestial aspects, that whole thing, all these different strange things that all these cultures around the world were doing were linked to some sort of purpose that goes far, far back in prehistory and that it was taught to us by these Anunnaki gods. I can also agree with that. I do believe there is something there. All right. So then naturally, and we'll dig into that theory a little bit more, but where, where are some of the areas that you think he's, he's either off base or, or missed something, or maybe just took, took a leap that was too far. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't agree with the idea that they came from a different planet. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's not possible. I just don't agree with it because of how he concluded that. Now I understand looking at all this stuff, it's difficult to like really come to some factual conclusion because we're dealing with thousands of years of history. We're dealing with uh, numerous cultures and trying to piece it all together. And that's what he, that's what he does. Great. That, that is actually what I think the greatness of his work is that he was able to piece all of this together in a cohesive, bigger picture, better than I've seen anybody else do thus far. But, um, he got the idea that they came from a planet mostly because like of their reference to stars and, and a specific star and stuff like that. And he called it Nibiru. But as far as I know, the, the word Nibiru only shows up uh, at least once or twice in Sumerian text. And it doesn't have anything to do with a home planet. It's just a reference to a star in the sky. And so those were one of the things where he looked at it and he said, well, he, he basically made his own assumption about it. He made his own assumption, his own exaggeration. And that's fine because some, sometimes we have to do that. You know, sometimes we have to do that as, as uh, researchers or whatever, as pioneers of research. Sometimes we just have to take a leap of faith and say, well, maybe this is what they were actually saying until we're proven wrong. Mm-hmm. But again, I, so I don't believe that they came from the Biru or Planet X. Because if you read his work, as I've done, he came to that conclusion based off of one simple sentence in the Enuma Elish. And it's at the very end, towards the end of the Enuma Elish, after the protagonist had already killed the antagonist, Tiamat. After the protagonist kills Tiamat, he is praised by the other gods and he is given 50 different names, 50 different titles. And one of those is Nibiru. And I'm paraphrasing, but they say, you are Nibiru, the shepherd of the other gods, the shiny star in the sky, something like mm-hmm. that, something weird like that. And so those, that was just one little thing. And he kind of took that and put it with all these other little instances of star worship and star reverence and just kind of concluded that it was well, suddenly maybe, it's maybe a planet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's the reason why I don't agree with that. Well, actually, no, that, that pretty much ties into to my main uh, argument which I conclude in my book is that because they didn't come from a different star or a different planet or whatever, that they were from here, that they were from here. And that that's basically my main argument, but that does, that's not to say that their ancestors were from somewhere else. I just don't believe that they themselves were from somewhere else. I think they were from here and simply wrote themselves into the history as the gods. Interesting. Interesting. So 
I want to dig more into your theory a little bit, but I, I'm kind of curious what your own research methods are. Um, obviously, I know you've gone back and read all of Sitchin stuff, but then how do you sort of come to your own conclusions? Do you go and read other sources? Do you try to get to the original sources? And if so, I mean, how does that actually work? Because obviously, I, I assume you can't you can't personally read like ancient Sumerian. So how do you kind of know where to go for the right interpretations? Is it just about kind of comparing things and, and making your own judgments? Yeah, man, it takes a lot of like just tedious and studious work. My main method of research is um, going to the source. I don't really have like a, a name for it, but it's just something that I do. Is it's whenever I start doing research for a project, whether it's the Lucifer book, the Anunnaki book, or whatever, I like to go to point zero of that subject. For example, the Lucifer book that I wrote, I started off with a question. And it's the same question, basically, that I start off with all my research is, when did this first occur? So in the Lucifer case, it was like, when and where did we first learn about Lucifer? So I would I have to go dig, 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 dig as far back as I can go to that zero point of when Lucifer became a subject. I go far back to where if I were to go a day before then, Lucifer never existed in the human mind. So I try to go to that point zero of any subject, and then I try to study that era, try to study all the people who were talking about it, everything that was going on to the best of my ability, and then I, then I move forward in time. And as I move forward in time, I can start to see how it progresses, how it changes, and how it's influenced by culture and people and, and the people who are forward and against it and stuff like that. And when it's for easier subjects, it's easy to see, oh, okay, obviously it was this at one point, and it's obviously, it obviously changed over here because of these people, you know, but when it comes to some stuff like the Anunnaki, Lucifer, it takes just more time, more time and more studying. And when it comes to trusting sources, like, as you said, I can't read Sumerian, you know, but if somebody out there um, wanted to, I mean, you could learn Sumerian, you know, you could learn Sumerian. I just haven't taken that step yet. So I'm still, maybe depending. that's the next step. You got to go <laughs> take a Sumerian course. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it, but I, right. As of right now, it's just it's kind of the same thing. I kind of just take, I take numerous, numerous sources. I don't just look at one. I take numerous sources. For example, the Sumerian thing I have to learn. Okay. What I had to learn. How did we even learn Sumerian? <laughs> So that's what that's what I did for that. And I, I write about that in the book. I write about the history of the discovery of the rediscovery of Sumer. So I, I had to teach myself, where did we even learn that Sumer was a thing? So I, I learned the history of its discovery. I learned the history of its of its translation. That's a whole crazy thing, too, how we even got to translate Sumerian. And so I learned all these different the, the history of Sumer, its language, its translation, who is who in the field of translating Sumerian. And I study them as people. And I study their work and then I make my decision. Okay, this guy's obviously, he's, he's grade A, you know, he's for the people. He's not, he has no agenda or whatever. And then you see other people where it's like, they clearly have an agenda. They clearly suck, you know? So it just takes a lot of tedious studying, but it's always about going to the source of the subject in time, in history, analyzing that and moving forward and, and watching how it progresses, progress and how it got influenced. When you say that you, you find some that might already have an agenda, um, do you mean that they might have like a preconceived notion or a story that they want to be true and they, they're looking to prove it as opposed to just taking the, you know, the trail wherever it goes and uncovering whatever you can find in an honest way? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep, one hundred percent. Because there's people like me where where I my purpose is to be unbiased, neutral as much as possible. And so whenever I come across another person like that in my history, that's a good sign. It's a good sign when when you can tell that they're just passionate about re- revealing the information, or or uh, yeah, presenting the information rather than trying to guide it somewhere. That's a good sign. All right, well, let's circle back uh, to the Anunnaki here. And I, I don't want you to uh, reveal every step of your methodology because I really want to encourage people to go buy your books and go buy that book in particular, which I really did enjoy. But why don't we just touch on some of the basics of how you think the this Anunnaki, um, the Anunnaki theory, I guess, where where you think it came from and, and who exactly were the Anunnaki? Where did this all start? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in our modern culture, of course, it started with Zechariah Sitchin and, and you know, Eric von Daniken and a couple other people afterwards, but mostly Zechariah Sitchin. Now we have all kinds of TV shows like Ancient Aliens or whatever. It's now it's it's pretty common, it's common information, but it's still pretty convoluted, and I think people are still missing like some of the more basic but yet major aspects of this whole thing. And what's important to know is that as of right now, we belong to what I call the modern timeline, which is about 7,000 years. So according to mainstream science, our entire existence as Homo sapiens sapiens is only 7,000 years old. And we know that's not true because we have other, other sites, other remains of human civilization that are older than that, like Gobekli Tepe, so on and so forth. But it's important to know that we are at least 7,000 years old in the modern timeline. And the earliest of our ancestors in this modern timeline are the Sumerians. And a lot of the cultures that came after them, again, like the Mediterranean cultures, the Middle Eastern cultures, um, borrowed and took and simply carried on a lot of the knowledge and civilization that the Sumerians started. The Sumerians started the first laws, the first, the first schools, the first institutions, the first, just pretty much the first everything. And they did a great job of it. These were fascinating people. It's so fascinating. Even their, their huge temple, the Temple of Ur, which is huge and massive, which was one of the very first things that we secured during the early Iraq war. You can see pictures of that. Type in Temple of Ur, Iraq War. You'll see our, our men out there securing it. And I, and I actually met somebody online who reached out to me who was a supporter who was there at that time. He was in that war. He was at the Temple of War. And he said that when they were there, he didn't know any of this stuff, but he knew it was strange. And he said while they were there, they were digging this huge, huge hole next to it trying to find something. And so what it's very important to know at the very least that the Sumerians are the earliest of our ancestors in this modern timeline and that the cultures that came after them were pretty much descendants of them. And it's very important to know that the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, are all based on the Anunnaki mythologies. And not only are they based on them, but they're actually a continuation of them in a strange quantum way which I talk about throughout uh, pretty much all three of my books that are out now. And so that's all important to understand at a basic level. Now, when you understand that and you fully see it, then it's important to ask ourselves, all right, well, what did the Sumerians have to say to us? 
What did they have to say to us? I mean, these were the people from the beginning. What do they have to say? And when we sit down and listen to what they had to say, they tell us that we as a species were deliberately created by their gods known as the Anunnaki. And, and in at least two or three occasions that we know of right now publicly within the text, we are told that they created us through an admixture of what they call clay and their blood. And that they created us specifically to serve them. Not so much in a like slave, in a harsh slave way, but some but just kind of in a cohesive relationship between servant and master. I mean, that was what we were designed for. We were designed to 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 be their servants and love doing that. And it's obvious that the Sumerians did. The Sumerians loved their gods. As that they their lives were revolved around the worship of their gods. So you don't buy into the idea that we were created just to like sit here and mine gold for them or, or anything like that. <laughs> that's another thing, right? It's another Zechariah Sitchin thing, the whole gold thing. And that's, that's actually another point that I don't really agree with him on. He did a fascinating job kind of like pointing out why he believes that, but no, I don't, I don't think we were just made to mine gold for them. It's a pretty but depressing we, thing we, to think about your existence, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Just out there just mining gold, <laughs> just taking it to the, the Anunnaki pawn shop. <laughs> Here you go, my lord. <laughs> but we were definitely made to to serve them. And one of the oldest texts, probably the oldest text known to our modern timeline, known as the Kesh Temple Hymn, speaks about us setting up this strange ceremony for them. I think it's the weirdest thing, man, if you really stop and think that the earliest and oldest text known to our entire existence has to do with us as humans setting up some strange ceremony and ritual to worship these people. It's just strange when you really stop and think about it. And so, but when you realize that, and then again, start to move forward in time, you start to see kind of how we ended up where we are today with still this slave mentality that I think is preyed upon, this servant mentality that is preyed upon. But what do you mean by that exactly? The servant mentality of of like our relationship with the gods or Yeah, I think I think we are inherently um we are inherently designed to to want to be like slaves, man. Like we we want to be controlled and 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 I understand why, you know, because it's 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 difficult to to make something of yourself in this life. It's difficult to really stand up and and be a leader. So I think it's just inherent in us as most humans um, to be okay with being led. And it's crazy too, because that's actually the story of the early Israelites in the Bible. I heard a preacher say this the other day. Sometimes I listen. I like to listen to Christian radio. I think it's interesting. But uh, I heard a preacher say this the other day. He said that the early Israelites were always complaining and asking God for a king. They were saying, please give us a king. Give us a king. We want to be ruled. And that's kind of how we are, right? We have like these elections and we're always looking up to celebrities and politicians. It just takes a different form. Exactly, exactly. So it's like it's still in us and it's still in us. Like we, we love working. We love to be worker bees. You know, and that's life. I understand. You know, that's what we got to do to 
to make it through. But I think if we allow somebody to pray on that, if we allow the shadow, if you will, to pray on that part, that part of us that wants to worship, that part of us that wants to to work, then um, it can be dangerous. You know, it can be dangerous. Let's let's talk a little bit more about who the Anunnaki are or or what they are and the actual origin story there. So, you know, you, you say that the Sumerians, they believe that they were created by the Anunnaki. Uh, so I guess one question would be... Today's episode is sponsored by Fox & Sons Coffee. And let me just tell you, Stephen of Fox & Sons, he is not just an advertiser. He has been a supporter of this show from day one and frankly, since before day one, because... He came over with me from the old Lions of Liberty days. So true a fan of the show. He started this company, Fox & Sons, out of his love for coffee and really out of wanting to further bond with his sons and spend time with him, just like he shared time with his father drinking coffee. Uh, he also gets to teach his sons about entrepreneurship and business through this endeavor. So I'm so happy to have Stephen and really his whole family, the Fox and the Sons, the whole gang as a supporters and sponsors of this show. Not only that, his beans are so high quality, fresh. Look, I just got two new bags right here. I got the Mexican and my favorite, the Den Blend Dark. The beans are super high quality, fresh and sourced from small organic farms. Fair trade. None of this GMO garbage. They're all small batch roasted. This is high quality stuff. Subscriptions are by far the best way to get your coffee. I have a couple subscriptions going, uh, but that is the way to go. You never run out that way. I never run out. I always have my supply of Fox & Sons. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com. Put in your order today. They ship fast. They ship now through the end of February. Also, by the way, you're going to get free shipping on any order over $37.99. By the way, while you're there, use discount code MCS to get 18% off any order over $25. Stephen Fox is a great man, a great friend, great supporter of the show. I encourage you to check out his coffee over at foxandsons.com. B, did the Anunnaki actually create the Sumerians and I guess all of mankind, or is that their story? Did the, did the Anunnaki sort of just convince the Sumerians that whoever they may be, we are your gods, we are your creators, um, love and serve us or what have you? Or is that, the, I guess my question is, do you think that's the real story or do you think it's just the, their story? It's, this is a, it's a complex question with a complex answer because, and it's something that's still, that I'm still working on um, because there's so much in that early period that's strange, right? Because again, we have all these sites that we're uncovering that scientists do not want to touch and don't want to talk about like Gobekli Tepe. So there's so much. What I think as of right now is that there have been many, many different civilizations on this earth throughout the millennia that have come and gone. And we're just a small piece of that. And I think that in our early development as Homo sapiens, there were other humanoid beings around us, like the Denisovans, like the Cro-Magnon men, all these different humanoid types. And I even believe that there was a, sort, a certain humanoid type that did spawn from some sort of ape-like creature at some point. I don't think we necessarily evolved from apes, but I think there, there was some sort of Neanderthal-like humanoid being among us in our Homo sapien development that did come from that sort of evolution. And so I think there were different types of humanoid beings existing at the same time, and that is corroborated by a lot of um, the, uh, the modern anthropologists. And so if anything, I believe the Anunnaki, whoever they were, probably genetically designed 
or selectively breeded a a new type of human, not the one and only human, but just a new type of human, which would eventually become the Homo sapien and the Homo sapien sapien, which is what we are. And there are some strange anomalies within anthropology that could that could kind of uh, corroborate that. One being that our skeletal system, the Homo sapien sapien skeletal system, is only about a hundred thousand years old. And even stranger than that, our cognitive mind, our cognitive skill that we have now is only about 50,000 years old. And so it's strange to anthropologists to see that our skeletal system developed first and then our cognitive abilities developed later. And for them both to happen in, in such a short period of time is also strange. And so what that tells us is that we as Homo sapiens and Homo sapiens sapiens are a new creation. We are a new being. We have not been here that long. And so that coincides with what the Sumerians were telling us. That coincides with what all these other mythologies have been telling us, which is that God, the gods, the aliens, whatever, specifically created us and specifically designed us to be a new species. And so if anything, I believe these Anunnaki people, they might have, they might have genetically or selectively breeded some sort of humanoid being that was around early on in our history f- to create some slaves. So do you think that they were just maybe more, maybe other, 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 either just regular people maybe with better technology that were cordoned off in some way that could just present themselves in maybe a godlike manner and then create these other lines of humans? Or do you think or that, or maybe they are some other sort of closer, like closely related to human species that is smarter and more advanced and, and, and whatnot and could come and sort of, you know, manipulate humankind or I guess in, in a negative or positive way, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Well, they definitely weren't human because by definition we are human and a human is a mixture of whatever we were before and them. So that's what a human is. So we're not, they're not human. They were, they were humanoid but they were they were more pure than us. They were a purebred. We are the mutts. We're the genetic mutts. And um, I believe, as I point out in my book, that they were survivors of a cataclysm here on Earth. I don't believe they came from some planet or whatever. I believe they were already here and they were survivors of a cataclysm, which is also evident in the geological um, studies of today and the anthropological studies of today, it is evident that this earth produces cataclysms cyclically and that we just got out of one not that long ago. And so I think they were survivors and they were, um, because they were, they, they, they survived obviously because they were savvy enough. They were strong enough to survive. They were literally the fittest, the strongest. And so these survivors must have had a lot of knowledge, must have had a lot of information and took what they could and attempted to carry on the human race, attempted to carry on the the race of Earth. So do you think perhaps these survivors uh, had some sort of advanced knowledge and ability to protect themselves from these cataclysms and did so? And then once the cataclysm happened, they're like, hey, let's go around and uh, populate the Earth with some humans that, that, uh, that, and t- teach them how to farm and whatnot. Yeah. I think that is the case, and it's a strange thing to think about, but 
when we look at all like the, the crazy pyramids around the world, um, I, th I think it's not far-fetched because those things are just magnificent. And as we're now realizing the pyramid in, in Giza, for example, could have been used to be, to be some sort of, uh, some sort of Tesla coil almost to tap into the, 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 uh, the energetic fields of this earth, the ionic, the ionospheric fields of this earth and, and produce like free energy. And so, yeah, I don't think it's far-fetched, man. I think these people just understood life differently than us. You know, every civilization that pops up on this earth is going to be given the same opportunity, the same tools, but they're going to arise at a different result, right? Because our very laptops, right, the laptops that we're on right now, they're, they're made out of natural elements. They've just been transmuted, alchemized and redesigned to create the laptop. Everything around us has been has been created with elements from this earth, some of them from off earth, you know, comments or whatever, but everything around us has just simply been made with what we have on this earth. So we just view it in a certain way. And I think the way we view it is cool. We make some pretty kick-ass things, but I think it's very limited and it's mostly money-driven. You know, we view everything through like this like capitalistic or like economic viewpoint of like but these people, these Anunnaki people, they didn't, they didn't have NASDAQ, you know, <laughs> they didn't have like all these random things that, that we create, all these fiat currencies. They didn't have that. They might have viewed life in such a esoteric and spiritual way that we, we can't even compare to that. So when they created things like the pyramids, they weren't creating them, you know, so, so, so that somebody could post it on IG or whatever, you know, they weren't, they weren't out there doing this for their YouTube channels. Like they created these things to be everlasting. They created these things to mimic the cosmos. So I just think that they had a way different mindset than us, way different mindset. They took the same tools around them that we have, but used them to way more extensive and pristine purposes. What do you think is the purpose of, of a lot of these ancient sites like the pyramids, not just in Giza, but all over the world in Mexico, South America? I mean, literally every continent has some version of some megalithic structures like this. Uh, what do you think is the purpose of them? Do you think it, the purpose is to, for them to survive into into now, into the present for people to find and and sort of uncover the mysteries of? Or do you think it served an actual some sort of purpose uh, at the time, maybe a practical purpose, whether it's energy creation or whatever it may be, a spiritual practice of some kind there's a lot of theories but there's really no one that can say this is what these were definitively for yeah well definitely on the surface level of course they were there for like ritual ceremonial purposes and uh but whoever was planning the design whoever the actual architect was that person or those people they were designing them to be everlasting. They were designing them to mimic the cosmos and they were designing them with certain math instilled in them so that if we were to kind of go through a cataclysm, we would simply just have to study them. If we were smart enough, they're kind of like codes, right? It's like, we just have to study the pyramids. For example, the great pyramid of Giza, it has, the solar year built into it. It has like the procession of the equinoxes built into it. It has Earth's circumference built into it. All these different, all these basic maths about who we are and where we are in our universe built into them, uh, along with the ceremonial and ritual purposes that they were used for. So again, I think they were just, they just had a way different mind than us. And they were constructing these things to, for all these different layered purposes. 
And uh, I think all of them were probably placed on specific parts of this earth that could attune to the magnetic spheres, could attune to some of the energetic fields around the, around it so that they could harness that as well for, for whatever purposes. Probably like some sort of internet, hmm. right? Some sort of strange Wi-Fi internet purpose that we have lost and don't understand anymore. Because as I point out in my, my latest book, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion, even our own scientists of today, going all the way back to the 70s and 50s, have been studying the quantum field and starting to realize that there is a subtle energy that flows throughout the entire universe that, if properly tapped into, could be used as a free energy uh, universal internet source. And when I say internet, I don't mean like the internet we have, but it could be tapped into to be used as a endless free energy source. Meaning like they could use certain technologies or processes or, or what have you to create energy essentially like out of thin air. Exactly. Zero point energy. And we've been trying to achieve that past, you know, close to hundred years. And so I believe a lot of these pyramids or structures might've been already tapping into that on a more rudimentary level. One, one thing I want to go back to is kind of, you know, talking about how you, you, you always follow the story forward and see how they evolve. So how, maybe we can do that a little bit with the Anunnaki and where in there, where this Anunnaki story that was passed down, how it evolved into the monotheistic, the Abrahamic religions that, uh, that pretty much dominate the world today. Where, where do we start there? Where does it evolve from all these gods to a god? Yes, absolutely. Great question. So, right, we've been here for about 7,000 years, and basically for the first 4,000 years or so, three to 4,000 years, we worshiped the Anunnaki. So that's basically half or a little over half of our entire existence. We worship these gods. So they were a huge part of our existence and development as humans on this earth. And so um, monotheism... And the phasing out of the Anunnaki happened basically with the onset of Judaism. And we are told in the Bible that before the worship of Yahweh, the monotheistic worship of Yahweh, the early Israelites were still polytheistic. And if you go back and read like Genesis and Exodus, basically the, the early books of the Old Testament, that is a huge part of that story. It's, it's God and Moses trying to get the people to stop worshiping other gods. And so we're told in the Bible that these early Israelites, who are essentially just a branch of the Canaanites, who were a branch of the old Sumerian uh, Anunnaki worshipers, were still worshiping these other gods. And after the Babylonian exile took place, which is a real occurrence in history that took place um, around 600 BC, the the Jewish elite, the Israel elite, came back to Judah and realized that they had to fortify their people. They had to unify their people because they almost went extinct throughout the Babylonian exile, which was an occurrence of the Babylonians descending upon them and taking their elite captive. And so after that exile, after they were freed, they realized they had to do something to unify the people, become stronger, and not allow something like that to happen again. And so what they did was they created uh, the Torah, they created the law, and they went back to the kingdom of Judah and started preaching the Torah, the new law, the Old Testament, pretty much. 
And uh, through that, Judaism, monotheism was born. And so all these Israelites were told to no longer worship other gods. And so with that, the Anunnaki were slowly phased out. But the Anunnaki are in the Bible, just not by that name. You have to read between the lines and you have to, you have to know history. You have to know more history that outside of the Bible. If you're just reading the Bible as a theologian, as a churchgoer, you're not going to see it. You're just going to be hearing the message of the day. But the Anunnaki are in the Bible. For example, we are told in Genesis 1.26 that God created man um, in his likeness, right? But if you go and read Genesis 1.26 in English, in any Bible, it won't say God created man in his likeness. It, it'll say God created man in our likeness after our image. And the reason there's plurality there is because the, the writers of that story, the writers of Genesis, were simply tapping into the ancient Sumerian mythology and rewriting it and retelling it. Because the early writers of, of the writers of the Bible, the Old Testament, they were descendants of the Sumerians. They were descendants of all these people. So they understood those mythologies. They had a cultural connection to them. So when they wrote Genesis 126 and said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, they were simply repeating and retelling the Anunnaki tale, the Anunnaki story told by the Sumerians. And so that, that whole thing started to get phased out after the downfall of the Babylonians. The Anunnaki, their mythology, got phased out after the downfall of the Babylonians because the Babylonians were the ones who descended upon the kingdom of Judah and almost wiped them out. So they were the enemies of the Israelites. So the Israelites were done with these other gods. They, they didn't want anything to do with these other gods. They wanted only their one god, Yahweh. But interestingly, the Israelites were freed by King Cyrus, the Persian, and lucky for them, Cyrus was tolerant. He was religiously tolerant and allowed them to go back to their homeland if they wanted to and actually helped them instill the new law, the new law that would be the Torah. But what's crazy and what's interesting is that King Cyrus, he was still worshiping the Anunnaki. He himself was still worshiping the Anunnaki. We're told in the Bible that King Cyrus freed the Israelites because of Yahweh, that he was told to do so by Yahweh. But we have found a cylinder. Um, I forgot the name of it, but we have found a cylinder that tells Cyrus's side of the story as why he freed the Israelites. And he says he wasn't inspired by Yahweh, but he was inspired by Marduk, the Anunnaki god Marduk. So even at that time, even at the time that the Bible was being written, the Old Testament was being written, and Judaism was being formed, the Anunnaki were still being worshipped. And it didn't completely phase out until the onset of Christianity, because even then, even after uh, the Persian Empire was taken out um, by the Muslims and so on and so forth, um, there was still paganism. There was still Greek and Roman paganism, which again was just a rendition of the Sumerian mythologies. So the Muslim community helped take out a lot of the Persian Anunnaki worship and a lot of that old Babylonian worship. Um, Judaism helped take, take out a lot of that as well. And then Christianity pretty much put the nail in the coffin. Christianity came and did away with all of the Greek and Roman paganism and mythology and said, no, we only have one God, and his name is Jesus. So these Abrahamic faiths slowly over time, with their empire expansions and all that, 
phased out all of the ancient polytheistic worship of the Anunnaki. But it's funny because all of them, all of them wouldn't be anything without the Anunnaki worship because it's just a continuation of it. Because, see, we see everything through, like, a narrow-mindedness of, like, this is my country, this is my religion, this is my God. But the truth is we're all one human family. We're all one family existing on this earth. And we've all just been simply continuing from the beginning. And so in the beginning, we worshipped the Anunnaki, and we did that for thousands of years. And then out of war, out of spite, we decided to not do that anymore, but instead worship just one God, be it Yahweh, Allah, or Christ. And so we started to change as a people. We started to become different and definitely different now. But we started to change slowly and do away with that old Anunnaki worship. But again, it's all, it all wouldn't have happened without it. For example, Abraham, right? They're, they're all called the Abrahamic faiths for a reason. All of these faiths claim that Abraham is the father of their faith. And Abraham's own father, Terah, worshipped other gods. We are told this in the Bible. So even at Abraham's time, the Anunnaki were being worshipped. So, so it's important to know that these beings and the worship of them, the institutional worship of them was a huge part of our human existence for the first few thousand years. And wasn't only and was only phased out with the onset of the Abrahamic faiths, which condemn it. They condemn the Anunnaki worship. They look down on it um, so that their institutions can be upheld and live on when really it's kind of silly because they're simply just continuing the worship of these beings through a more specific, narrow-minded uh, version called monotheism. So do you think even, like, say, the God of the New Testament is really just like Marduk re reworked, Marduk reworked into, into Yahweh as, it, as that sort of evolved over time? Yeah, more specifically, Yahweh is actually a rendition of El. He's a rendition of the Canaanite god El, who was basically a rendition of Enlil, the Anunnaki god Enlil. So th that and that's been written by written on by many, or written about by many scholars, many many scholars. That's pretty much a given at this point, and it's it's a point that theologians don't like to look at because it's it's obvious now that Yahweh, the early worship of Yahweh, was simply just a branch or rendition of the worship of El. I guess when talking about the history of these mythologies and, and these gods actually come, stemming from actual whatever they may be, call them gods, call them Anunnaki, call them some other kind of humanoid like whatever uh, race or what have you. I, I guess the question is, if 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 these creatures, whatever they may be, are, were so much more advanced to the point they could actually create humanity and um, and to then be worshipped by humanity that the question remains for me, like, where are they now? What happened to the Anunnaki? Did they just take off one day and say, we're going to go live in the shadows? Uh, are they still around? We just, you know, maybe their influence is uh, not seen so much on the surface. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think at the very least, like these, these people, these beings or whatever, they were the minority. They were the minority and they were already, they were already survivors of some cataclysm and they were, already few in number and it's funny too because the the great flood 
that we're told about in the Bible, which is a just a, a different version of the Sumerian story of the flood. Uh, we're told that God wiped out humanity, right, in the Bible because people were being bad or whatever. But in the Sumerian version, we're told that the Anunnaki gods wiped out humanity because we, uh, basically because we're reproducing too quick. It's just a little population control, huh? Yeah, they they were mad that we were reproducing too quickly, you know, because they were the minority. And the uh, Sumerian king list, which is a strange, like, cylinder that lists, like, all these, like, legendary kings. And the, well, the first, like, ten or something are, like, legendary kings that we have yet to find any information on. And then the rest of them are all kings that we do have information on. And the Sumerian king list tells us that the first king was was made king after the kingship was uh came down from heaven after the kingship was given to humans from heaven in other words at one point the anunnaki passed on rulership over this earth to man to human and so it seems as if though these beings again were survivors of something crazy and they were already already on their way out and so they created us in hopes of sustaining themselves and their lives, but quickly realized that we were just way too advanced for them to control. And so we reproduced, became our own thing, became respect. So we were the rebellious teenagers and they're the parents that at some point just gave up. They're like, ah, they're going to go do their thing, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they just naturally died out, naturally let us take over. And then that's, that's where it gets into the conspiracy, like, well, where's their bloodline? You know, did their bloodline continue into the royal family of England and stuff like that? Which I think there's some truth to that. Uh, Zechariah Sitchin, in his last book, The End of Days, does a pretty interesting job of explaining this, this uh, answer to your question. And um, there are some strange occurrences in some of the historical and religious texts right around like 500 BC or so, uh, where... A lot of these, a lot of these gods were described as leaving Earth, too, which is strange. Uh, for example, there's a Sumerian text. I forgot the name of it, but there is a Sumerian text where we're told the god Sin, um, who was uh, a moon god, who Sitchin believes was like an early version of Allah, um, left left Earth, like strange, like just randomly left Earth, and that a lot of the people we have like this this text where this woman was was like crying and and like crying and praying to the sky like saying please come back please come back like why have you deserted your people so there is a strange theory there uh, an ancient alien theory that that claims that these gods did up and leave they might have just up and left on their ships if they did have any and that uh yeah that that opens up a whole realm of of questions that we could dive into and maybe we will today or not today maybe we will in some uh, future you know future show because there's so many uh so many directions you can go there you can say yeah they just got in a spaceship and maybe they live in space now maybe they live underwater maybe they live in beyond the ice wall a lot of ways we can go there and maybe we'll go into some of them in the smoke filled room bonus segment that we're going to hop into a min- in a minute Eddie but uh just want to thank you for coming on and uh, digging into this subject it's one I really find fascinating and uh, before I let you go here on this main show. Why don't you just let everybody know once again how they can, all the ways they can find you, the best ways to reach out to you and find more of your work, find your books, all that stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Esoteric Eddie. You can find me on YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. And you can find my books and merch and all everything else on my website at uh, www.esotericeddie.com. All right, Esoteric Eddie, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on my show. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Esoteric Eddie. 
a guy whose work I really enjoy. I really like people who like to explore the unknown, dig into things, and that is just what Eddie does, go into the source materials. We dug even deeper into some of his own personal experiences that he had as a child in the smoke-filled room segment. Eddie talked about some of the experiences he had on psychedelics, as well as some experiences he had leaving his body, astral projecting, and yes, I'm not kidding, battling an energy demon. That's right. So tune into the smoke-filled room to get access to the complete versions of these episodes. You're only getting two-thirds of the show if you're listening to the free feed here. Uh, but if you subscribe to The Mark Claire Show on any of your platforms available over at markclare.com, you can do so on Patreon, on Subscribestar, on Rockfin, however you want to do it. I try to give you as many options as I, as I can. Same for the video versions of the show. Yep, I'm on YouTube for as long as they let me talk about weird stuff on there. I'm on BitChute. We're on Rumble. We're on Odyssey. I just spread it thin and let you guys pick and choose whatever you want to go. But you can find all those links at markclair, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R, Dot com. Check out the smoke-filled room segment with Esoteric Eddie. It is weird. It is wild. It is fun. Friends, in case I don't see you, until next time, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>